Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's me, Elise Lunen, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop podcast. Today's guest, Dana Childs, is dear to my heart. Before we get to her, I just want to say a quick thanks to the Diamond Producers Association, who made today's episode possible. The jewelry women wear is entirely personal, and it's often the story behind the diamond earring, ring, or bracelet that makes the piece all the more important to us. For different newsletter stories, the Goop editors have interviewed women about the first natural diamond they ever bought themselves, or the most special one. Sometimes these self-gifts were a long time coming, and others happened seemingly on a whim. But they all ended up marking a special moment in time to celebrate. Why are we drawn to natural diamonds in this way? I think part of it is that they come from the earth, they're rare and finite, and of course beautiful. And as someone who leans toward minimalism, I think it's also because diamonds are one of the few things that become more valuable to you the more you wear them, because they're timeless. To learn more about natural diamonds, visit realisadiamond.com. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together Thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest, and I'll come back after their conversation to answer a question from one of you. If you have a question you'd like me to get into in our next round of Ask Me Anything, Send it to us at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. All right, over to Elise. Dana Childs is an intuitive and energy healer. I've had the pleasure of working with her. Not only is she amazing, but she has an amazing story as well. Dana used to be caught in the mix of climbing the corporate ladder and was extremely unhappy doing so. When she felt like her life was falling apart, she sold everything she had and bought a one-way ticket to India. From there, she tapped into her intuition and learned how to become a healer for others. Dana, who is currently based in North Carolina, came out to L.A. for a visit. 
We talked about how we are all self-healers and how no one is really broken, despite everything we're programmed to believe to the contrary. In Dana's experience, it's all about peeling back the layers to find our healed selves within. We also talk about feminine and masculine energy, how our childhoods alter the dynamics of our adult relationships, and how healing can reveal the truths in them. And we talk about the soul and the spirit, and how Dana differentiates between the two. We'll learn more about that later. The mind doesn't give a lot of clarity, but we so value intellectualism and logical thought in this day and age that we tend to go there for our truth rather than our body, which is how we can be out of alignment with ourselves. So let's cut to my chat with Dana Childs. Welcome to Los Angeles. Thank you. Thank you for having me. In the great, constant lure of LA trying to convince you to move here. I love it. It's great to move here. I'm in the process of buying a house this very instant in North Carolina. Oh, well, then I guess this isn't going to happen. I'll come visit a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You can send good vibes our way. Oh, I will. So, Dana, I've worked with you in a personal context, in a professional context. Yes. How do you describe yourself, an intuitive executive coach? I usually just say intuitive energy healer. I do a lot of executive coaching, but it sort of all rolls in together because even, you know, when we look at executive coaching, it's usually something that's also personal that's holding a person back. Right. Aligning them with their purpose. Exactly. Their true wants and needs Mm -hmm. and their gifts. Right. And delving into their childhood (laughs) because that's in everything. It's true. It is. I mean, I guess that's the idea, right? Like we all are who we are and then we're sort of the inside of an onion that gets layered with yeah. other people's programming and desires yeah. for us. And it's, it's good that you said that because I really have learned that when I'm helping someone to truly just heal, I mean, not, no one's ever broken, right? It's just revealing that healed self. It's never about finding their purpose and connecting them to it. It's always about peeling back who they've learned to be or how they've learned to show up and just allowing more of their natural essence to come through. So it's getting rid of those layers and getting rid of those programs. And then that natural self just emerges Mm -hmm. and purpose shows up. Yeah. It's so interesting. I've done, I've worked with you. I've worked with Jennifer Freed and some other really incredible people in Mm -hmm. terms of having these sorts of gifts. And it's such a fascinating experience because when you're in it, you're like, wow, this person is just telling me all about my things that you know and you know to be true, but somehow having some at the time stranger confirm them to you makes them so much more powerful. Yeah. It's funny because I, a lot of times I think that's what a session is, is it's affirming and confirming for the person that what they know to be true is true. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it is obliterating those patterns that they think are true and like seeing them from a different perspective. So how did you come to this work? How did you divine that you had these intuitive and sometimes mediumistic gifts? Yes. So when I look back, you know how you always hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So when I look back, I could see I was a school teacher and I taught public school. And I remember in one day being in the cafeteria and the school principal asking me what a child's name was and pointed at the child. And I had, I had no idea. And I said her name. And I remember I kind of felt a little freaked out because I didn't know how I knew her name. And I just walked off and just stopped thinking about it. And then I got really into yoga to help cope because I left teaching and went into banking and I was doing finance. And then I got into national marketing for a huge bank. And when I was doing that, it was very much a 
you know, it was, I don't want to say man's world, but it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So as a female, it was, it was difficult during the time period. And I started doing a lot of yoga. And then I realized that through meditation, I, I could feel things. I could see spirit in my home. And it was just me living there at the time. And, and I didn't understand what it was. And then I got to this point in my life where everything's sort of falling apart. You know, my marriage had ended. My job wasn't fulfilling me. Nothing felt good. And I knew that I was really headed for a not good place. And so mm-hmm. my option was to stay in that not good place or to just change my whole life. So I sold every single thing I owned and my house, my car. I actually rehomed my dog at the time, who mm-hmm. was still living with one of my good friends. And gave away the rest of it and packed a backpack and bought a one-way ticket to India. I just was really pulled to India for some reason. And I traveled for about a year and a half, mostly Southeast Asia and a little bit of Australia. And through that, I met teachers who helped me with the mediumship gifts and who helped me learn different kinds of energy movement and all sorts of things. And so then I came back to the U.S. and a friend of mine asked me what I learned and I showed him. I just did a a reading for him and he sent me someone and then she sent me someone and then I thought, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be doing this. Mm. So it really found me after I made sure to find who I wasn't. The gifts just started opening. And you felt like you were supposed to be doing it because it felt good and true. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I still do, right? It's just exciting to be able to help someone. And like, I love watching someone shift or change perspective or suddenly being able to grasp more trust or more faith or feel that direction out that's right for them. There's just something about it that's really exciting. So when you, and I know you primarily work by phone, which I know people never understand who haven't experienced it because I think people assume that there is a fair amount of physical energy reading and face reading and expressions and tells. Mm -hmm. But when you work, when you work with people, are there consistent themes, particularly when it comes to childhood? There are. It's, it's one of the fascinating ones that I see that interrupts relationships. Like I love doing couple sessions and I love working with couples as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause I like to harmonize their energy or either bring them to the clarity that they're not meant to be together anymore, which is a difficult one, but sometimes it really does lend itself to that kind of clarity is helpful. How do you land that? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) I I tell you, there's been some funny ones. So sometimes you just kind of put it out there and they feel it. I never say like, this is what you should do. But there was one couple that came to me and it was so clear. And I just, I said, I, you guys are, are really not to be together. Like you, you don't like each other and I can't help you anymore because it's, you're trying to do something that's not meant to be done. And they finally just didn't, they didn't come back because I couldn't help them. And I think a year later it came out that he was having an affair. Mm. And I'm like, what is not sustainable? The universe cannot hold. So at some point it will fall apart. But with couples, what I find fascinating is when you look at, you know, male, female energy, we tend to pattern our male or female energy based on whichever parent was safe for us the most safe. So if you have two parents who neither one are really safe, you're going to go for the one who's least dangerous. And then you pattern your energy after that, be it your dad or your mom, you're going to pull in more male or more female energy. And then with your partner, they're going to be doing the same thing. And so then in a relationship, what's really important is the male-female balance. You know, no matter what kind of, you know, sexual orientation it is, that balance of energy is really important. And if that gets off, then you start to have problems. It's where thing, really common themes come out to where one person's saying, I do everything. You don't help me with anything. I'm running everything. And then the other person's saying, I can't make you happy. Nothing I do is right. Mm. And usually that's an, that's an ind- indication that the male-female balance is really off. 
Yeah. No, I'm sure that mm-hmm. must be one of the most consistent. It's very consistent. And then things. to try to get people to understand how to embrace their male energy or how to be more in their female energy to help the balance and how to allow their partner to be more in the one that they wish to be in. Yeah. No, that's something that I think about in my, the context of my own relationship all the time, just because I am so in my masculine. Well, and right. And as working women, we have to be. Yeah. And so then it takes that re-feminizing, right? Whatever that, whatever that means. For some, it's a, a bath or a, you know, lighting a candle or just listening to a slow song on the way home, whatever that may mean, but to get back in that feminine energy before you enter into relationship. And yeah. interestingly enough, I found that mothering, motherhood, which we all look at as very feminine, is actually very masculine. It is. Yeah. It's like it's get very your shoes directional. on. Yeah. Yes. Do this, do that. We're going to the doctor. We're going to the game. We're picking you up. Put your shoes on. Eat, your, eat everything on your plate. You know, whatever it is, it's very masculine. And so then that also will upset the balance in a relationship. Yeah. Do you know Michaela Bohm? She's been on the podcast before. She does Tantra. And oh, cool. her whole, you know, much of the conversation is like, it's Tantra is not seven-hour sex. It is... The ba- it's the polarity right. of sexual energy within ourselves and within each other. And I, like, it's was so, the first time I ever spoke to her, it blew my mind because she was talking about this, how, you know, as a woman who works, we come home, we're in our masculine. And then you either have a husband who's in your mas- in his masculine as well, or he's in his feminine. And right. that's not always attractive. Right. So she's like, the idea of coming home and your husband's in an apron, and he's like, honey, I made you dinner, on some level sounds like a fantasy, and on other is not sexual it's clarity. Not, right. And well, so- because we put those, you know, a couple as couples, we role play, and we should be adult to adult, but sometimes we go adult to child. So if we're in masculine energy as a woman, and we're coming home, and we're saying, can't you do this? Can't you do that? Mm-hmm. Then we're going into mother-child and no one wants to have sex with their child. I mean, yeah. hopefully, if so, you've, you need some real therapy. Right. All right. No, but it's true. But she was like, it's so such a small tweak. Because if, you're, if you come home and your husband's made you dinner and he's in his masculine and he says, go get a glass of wine. I'm dealing with dinner. I'll let you know when it's ready. That's very sexy. Right. So it's like these very small shifts in getting in, like re- getting in your feminine, getting in your masculine. Absolutely. Yeah. It can really alter a dynamic of a relationship. I do want to go back to what you said too about how we pattern ourselves after the safest parent. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. And then are we, do we try and heal ourselves in relationship? Well, so here's what I think is that the energy system is really designed to heal all the time. We're self-healing. You know, when you drive around and you see the stickers on the electrical outlets that say self-healing, like I always love those because it's such a good reminder. So our energy system wants to heal all the time. So when we're young, all of these things are happening around us. As, as children, we are completely powerless. Mm-hmm. Like we really are totally disempowered. We can't, you know, look at our parents at three years old and go, you guys aren't getting along. You should not be together. Or, you know, <laughs> mom, don't talk to me like that and close our door to our room. We don't have permission to have those boundaries. So all these wounds are stacking up, whatever it may be. There could be loss, hurt, betrayal, uh, abandonment, right? And so our energy system as designed to heal is going to recreate those scenarios. And this is where we get into patterns, patterns throughout our life. So we may create, recreate abandonment again and again and again so that our energy system can heal it because once we heal it on one level through one scenario, all of those other hurts and harms Velcro to it and they all get flushed out at the same time. Mm, so I it, love that. Yeah, it's really powerful. So I think we're just designed to heal all the time we're trying to heal. 
Oh, interesting. So once you sort of solve it, you solve it for the, your entire life. You, yeah, it goes backward. So once you solve it, you, you solve it for all. And I theoretically, you solve it in the go forward too. Yep, absolutely. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think that looking at the generation, probably your primary client base, is there a way that we were parented that is consistent throughout? Yeah, well, I Are don't... we a generation of neglect? You know, that's such an interesting question because I've never thought about it. But as you say it, I can feel there is a truth because women started going back to work, you know, Uh as we were kind of being born. Women were really getting into the work world. So there are more latchkey kids. There are more, you know, kids who didn't get that nuclear type family that was more present in the 50s. But I also, I want to go back to a question you had asked earlier is patterning after our parents and patterning after the safe parent. And I find that when we do that, what, what I look at is that bigger relationship. So when we pattern after, you know, mother or father, we also create the image of the divine or source or the universe or whatever word you like to use. We create that in the image of our parents rather than the other way around. So our relationship to faith, to the divine, to trusting the universe if we could trust our parents, then maybe it's a little more intact. If our parents abandon us, then the divine's not going to come through. Mm. If our parents weren't supportive, then the universe probably isn't going to support what we're trying to do. So we really, in talking about healing our relationship with our parents, are actually underneath that. The real root of everything is healing our relationship to the universe, to God, the divine, source, Buddha, Allah, whatever word you want to use. Interesting. So if you, and what does that look like? Like the healing of that, having faith and trust? Yeah, it's really different. I mean, I think at the end of everything, what I see when people really get down to the bottom and the root of it is the surrender piece. Mm -hmm. As humans, we like to have power and exercise that power by control. And when we start to let go of that, and instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go this way or I want to go this way, we say, which way would you like me to go? How would you like me to show up? Who would you like me to help? What, you know, what kind of service would you like me to do? Is a very different kind of life than what we're taught, which is figure out what you want and then go get it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very different. But healing looks different for everyone because within that trusting the divine and and surrendering, there are many different issues wrapped up in that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you taught at Ingu Health New York, which was I think the highest rated class, FYI. Thanks. That's so exciting and good to hear. Yeah. So you were teaching the difference between mind, body, spirit, soul. Yes. So can you take us through that? Sure. I look at, when I look at someone energetically, I really look at the four components of the spirit and I see body, mind, soul, and spirit. And obviously we know what our body is and the body is a place that will always tell us the truth. So if you are, you know, generalization here, but if you're in a job that you are not sure you like, but then suddenly your stomach hurts every day and you get headaches when you go into work, your body's telling you it doesn't fit. You know, same with a relationship. If you're suddenly in a relationship and you're having all these health issues, it doesn't mean that there isn't something physical there that you want to get checked out, but that also our body cannot emotionally lie to us. It will tell us what's good for us and it will tell us what's not good for us every time. The mind is just a monkey circus, and it will just fuck you right up. The mind doesn't give a lot of clarity, but we so value intellectualism and logical thought in this day and age that we tend to go there for our truth rather than our body, which is Mm -hmm. how we can be out of alignment with ourselves. And then the soul and the spirit I see is very different. So the soul I see as this dense part of us that has to learn. 
Mm. right? And the spirit is this clear part of us that's always connected to the divine, always has the truth. And we can't come fully in as spirit because, let's say, if we were abused, then we might, as spirit, be able to see the genuine, you know, the great in it, the good in it, the lessons in it. And we would go, oh, it's okay because I know that you really love me, so it's fine. We don't operate like that on a human plane. So the soul I see is this really dense part of us that learns. You know, if you believe in life after life or, or reincarnation, then I, I think the soul carries with you through that. If you don't believe in reincarnation, then you can look at it as a cellular DNA kind of place is what your ancestors have experienced. Mm -hmm. But in that soul, it's where we learned things like we're lovable or we're not lovable. We're powerful or we're not powerful. We're enough or we're not enough. And in this, you know, in this life we're having experiences, let's say that we're born and we have a little bit of a hangover from our ancestors or a past life that says we're not lovable. Maybe we got abandoned or kicked out of our family or excommunicated from a church or something in a past life or an ancestor did. And then in this life, maybe our, you know, our mother was, we were born at a time when they were really busy. And so they just left us with a caretaker and they were really too, you know, busy to take care of us. Well, then we might assume we're unlovable. And because our soul already knows that experience, we would believe it really easily. Mm. And so then we would spend our life trying to heal that piece of lovability. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Just a second, we're taking a quick break. I believe that jewelry stores energy and emotion, and that certain pieces of jewelry can carry subtle messages with them. I think about this with diamonds, which are, of course, such a symbol themselves in our culture. At the end of the day, natural diamonds are really gemstones that nature has been creating and forming and shaping for billions of years. They are inherently rare and finite, and in their DNA is a pretty incredible history of the earth, which is one reason why it's important that they're recovered responsibly from the earth. When you hold a natural diamond, you're essentially holding a wonder of nature in your hand. And I like that diamonds become more valuable and meaningful over time. They're durable and they never lose their brilliance, which is not the case with most things in life, right? I think this is all part of what makes a diamond a compelling gift to give yourself. Whether that's to celebrate a life milestone, like a birthday or a new baby, or to mark the beginning of a new job or relationship or the end of a significant project. Or, you know, just because. To learn more about natural diamonds, visit realisadiamond.com. We started this podcast last March because we wanted a new way to share ideas, tips, and knowledge from experts and leaders across diverse fields and backgrounds and ways of thinking. The content team at Goop spends their day asking questions, we want to figure out who is doing the most cutting-edge research on the gut, 
where's the best place to stay in San Sebastian? And straight from the office water cooler the other week, what kind of protein bars do people like? Someone on the team turned me on to Think High Protein Bars. They're made with 20 grams of protein, zero grams of sugar, and no artificial flavors or GMOs. Think has a bunch of different flavor options, but I'll give you some highlights. Their brownie crunch bar tastes like the rich chocolate brownie you'd want, and the creamy peanut butter bar tastes like a scoop of creamy peanut butter sandwiched in chocolate. But it's one of those things you have to try for yourself. Think's motto is, I think I can. They believe that with the right energy and nutrition, we can do pretty much anything we put our minds to, which is a pretty good mindset to try out. And to test out Think's high-protein bars, for starters, go to thinkproducts.com. Enter code GOOP25 and you'll get 25% off your order. That's thinkproducts.com and use code GOOP25 for 25% off. This one expires on October 21st, 2019. Okay, let's hear more from Dana Childs. So your soul is obviously, you can reteach it. You reprogram it, yeah. And yeah. you want to expand the soul into the spirit's truths. So if the spirit is, and the spirit is connecting us to some sort of higher consciousness, and that's sort of where these downloads are coming. Yeah, higher consciousness, oneness, you know, whatever it is that you want to term in. I think everybody has a different term these days that they like, just as what your comfort is. So why do you think that you have, that that is more accessible to you? Like, why do you have these gifts? Do you have any like conception as to why? Yeah, I think everybody has gifts and I think everybody has different gifts or versions of different gifts and no one person can do the exact same thing. I really believe that. We can either develop it or not develop it, but it is like anything else, a skill. I could learn to play piano, I've actually tried. I'm not very good at it. I wish I were good at it. Like it's a dream of mine. But if I sat and practiced every day, I could learn it, but I've never been motivated enough to do that. And when it came to learning this, the first gift that really opened for me was actually mediumship, which I don't do a lot of anymore. Although I will say the deceased are pretty sneaky and they come in all the time anyway. So we honor them when they land. But but in that, I was so hungry to develop that that I would sit and meditate for hours. I mean, just hours and hours and hours a day to open these gifts. And it was something that I really worked at because I wanted it. Mm, got it. Mm -hmm. No, I feel like it's funny. It's one of those, like, you got to meditate. And to me, that's yeah. impossible. But Oh, well, let's talk about that real quick because I don't look at meditation as like, sit down, close your eyes, align your chakras and your spine. I mean, that's one way to do it, which is great. But I actually learned to meditate laying down and these days, my most effective meditation I do when I'm wide awake walking. Like when I'm walking, I just get into a flow where I can observe my mind because that's ultimately what I view meditation as is just are you, can you sort of rein your mind in enough to let what's coming through come through instead of your fearful thoughts running the race. So yeah. it's like meditation I look at as calming fear and there are different, we can swim and do that or wash dishes and do that or, you know, walk and do that or write and do that as well as sit and do that. Interesting. So, and then, then you can start to parse what's yours and Ex what's not. Exactly. Yeah. Then you get really clear because you're listening to your body. So you know what's yours and what's not yours, what belongs and what doesn't belong. And that's, you know, you get into a little bit of being sensitive versus being an empath. 
And I am a huge empath. So I, I actually have an online course about that. And I teach empaths all the time. I have a lot of empaths that tend to come my way. But there are people who are sensitive who just know what's happening. And then there are people who actually feel someone else's stuff. So developing that awareness of your body and your mind, then you can start to really discern like, wow, I'm feeling this, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think is one of the biggest struggles. Well, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we get into fear and then we assume what we're feeling is ours. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Fear and anxiety and that's totally oppressive. And then you can't attach it to anything that's actually happening. Absolutely. I had a last summer, I was taking care of a friend who had surgery and I was her main caretaker. So I went in right after she had come out of the surgical room and she was still like, bandaged up and, you know, kind of bloody, you know, they just kind of look rough after surgery. And I walked into the surgical room and I just immediately felt traumatized. Like I could feel it all through my body. And I thought that's weird because I really have like a steel stomach when it comes to blood and guts. It doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't quite understand what was going on. And this is the work I do, right? So I couldn't, I couldn't understand it because it was so in my body as my reaction. And I got her in the car and she was still kind of under anesthesia, so she wasn't making a lot of sense, but she's also an intuitive person, so she was talking. And and she had this huge bruise on her that the doctor was really worried about. And and I said, It's trauma. And she goes, That is. It's like I'm healing all this trauma. And the surgery was actually really healing, not just for her body, but because it healed all these emotional layers of trauma. But that's what I felt. And as soon as I made that connection and we both identified it as trauma, I just asked my body to let go of that, and I felt completely fine. Interesting. So when we get other people's energy, yes. bad or otherwise, yep. like we talk about this, not with not a ton, but we are witches, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but clearly people can sort of share positive energy. They can share negative energy. Absolutely. Is, what's the appropriate reaction to that? Is it to just sort of acknowledge it and let it go and not approach it from a place of fear? Yeah, it depends, right, on where you are and who you are. So sometimes if we're stuck in power struggles, then we may feel that energy and we may engage in it. I wouldn't recommend that. That would not be my recommendation. But sometimes we get stuck there. Like I call it playing ping pong, like back and forth. You're battling back and forth with energetics. But if we feel energy come our way that's toxic, we want to just – it's almost like I imagine like a pink bubble coming around myself and just shielding me from it. And then I just push back with light any energy that's not positive, any energy that doesn't serve me. And you are able to distinguish that which serves from that which isn't yours through obviously developing your gifts. Yeah. And our bodies will tell us, right? So if we're feeling anxious, we're feeling fearful, it doesn't serve us. Mm -hmm. And if we're feeling calm and centered and peaceful, then it serves us. So what is the antidote for people who are extremely anxious or living in fear? Ooh, so there can be a couple of different antidotes. I do, I do appreciate Western meds because I do think chemically sometimes hit it with some Xanax. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know that I love Xanax, but but you know, I do think there's a chemical component where people really need that. And yeah. you know, there is a real thing for postpartum anxiety. I've seen that a lot lately, where there is some real chemical off offness that might need to be righted. But I also think that a lot of people who are anxious aren't anxious. They're feeling all these emotions and energies that aren't theirs and then they don't it's overwhelmed for their body like they're just oversensitive so it becomes about recognizing what's theirs what's not theirs and how to clear it out and clean it up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then for some people I do think that 
um, you know, there's a there's a sensitivity level, even if they aren't empathic, there's a sensitivity level that they have to recognize they can be sensitive to someone, but that doesn't mean that they have to take on their problems. So it's it's almost learning like a comfortable responsibility, not over responsibility and not under responsibility. Yeah, how would you how do you define someone who's truly empathic? So as I, I define someone as empathic as someone who experiences in their body other people's emotions or physical sensations. It doesn't just have to be emotions. I have a sister who's highly physically empathic and she tried for a time to work at a nursing home (laughs) that lasted a week because she was so sore, like every muscle in her body hurt and she's young. So we quickly determined that is not her. That was, she was picking up on the tenants who lived there. Interesting. Mm -hmm. We can be very physically empathic as well. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like I look at like 85% of, you know, the headaches we have, the stomach aches we have, they're not ours. So before you pop ibuprofen or willow bark, depending on how natural or not natural <laughs> you are, then, then it really, you know, behooves you to just clear yourself of anything that doesn't belong to you. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I checked into an Airbnb yesterday. And when I checked in after like five minutes of being there, I felt so heavy and sad. And I thought, what is happening? And I realized it's the woman who owns the Airbnb had all this sadness. And so I had to clear all that off myself. And then I felt fine. Interesting. Mm -hmm. How do you clear physical space? Physical space? Yeah. Oh, different things. It depends on what I feel. I love, um, I love white sage, you know, Palo Santo. I love those methods because if we're a physical person, those are going to work for us. But I also do a lot of prayer. I just ask, you know, I call in whatever I believe in, which I like the word God. I like angels. So I call those in to help clear space. I've learned also recently to clear with color. And so I will sort of stand in a space and ask, you know, what color is going to get this space to the highest vibration it can be. And then usually I'll see a color or I'll think of or know a color And then I'll just send that color all through the space and it will shift the energy. It's really simple. That's cool. Yeah. I like simple. I'm not about making this difficult. How are we supposed, so using the word angels or spirit guides or, or whatever. So if you, if you believe in that concept, which Mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed to say that I do. Yeah. Well, um, you're at Goop. So I am at Goop, right? (laughs) What, what's the appropriate way to use angels, use spirit guides, use all the people who are, or all the spirits, I guess. Yeah. I I really think that's an individual. Like it depends on the person as so many things do. I, when I first started, I learned to, you know, communicate with the deceased. And so they're, well, just because you're dead doesn't mean you're really smart. Like it doesn't mean you're wise. So you have to be careful about that information. You know, sometimes it's great and sometimes not so much. Angels, I've learned that if we go straight to source, then source sends what we need. So instead of like, oh, I want to connect to my spirit guides or I want to learn to connect with angels or it's go to source and then you'll get what you need that way. I like that because it's most direct and it's cleanest. But you can connect to, you know, whatever you wish to connect to at any point in time. You just have to be open to it to mm-hmm. receive the help. And there's a difference in spirit guides and angels, right? Angels haven't been human, except for a couple. Um, there's a couple who have been human. But otherwise, it's a very different kind of energy. Angels are geared to help us and get us out of trouble. 
all the time. Spirit guides have been human, and so they're designed to lead us down whatever path is going to end up and result in, the, in our most sort of growth and learning. So if you want to be rescued from something, call on an angel, not a spirit guide. If okay. you want the wisdom and the learning, call on a spirit guide. If you don't know what you need, just go straight to source. And are you allowed to call on people who have passed if they were particularly good at something in this plane? Absolutely. <laughs> I did this. Okay, this was like when I first got back from India, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew I needed to buy a car. And I was so stressed, I didn't know what to buy. And so I, um, before I went to sleep one night, because I have really vivid dreams. So before I went to sleep, I said, okay, here's who I want on my car panel for dreams. And I called in like the car talk guys. Do you know that show? Of I course. I love that show. So I, I called in those guys to sit on my panel. Are they dead? I don't know if they're dead, but I don't think they do their show anymore. They don't do the show anymore. I listen to it as yeah. a child all the time. I love that show. I hope they're alive. But I called in them and I called in an intuitive friend who would know intuitively if the car was healthy or not. And then I called in my dad who, you know, I just trust my dad's opinion. And so I went to sleep that night and I dreamed about this car and I could see the gray interior. I could see that it was a straight shift, not an automatic. And when I went car shopping, I sat down and I was like, oh, it's gray interior. It's a straight shift. This is my car. And I just knew. Was it a good car or was it a lemon? It was, it was a great car. It was a great <laughs> car that I sold for, I think, like $1,000 because eventually it did not run much. <laughs> Details. Details. No, I like the idea of actually getting, putting these people to work yeah. or these entities to work. Yeah. Is there anything else that you feel intuitively that you wish more people could understand? Yeah. You know, it's, I'm recognizing lately a lot about fear and judgment and what I'm, cause you know, I'm constantly doing my own work as well. And what I'm realizing is that anytime I feel sad or lonely, depressed, grief stricken, you know, anything that we might deem negative, even though I don't believe in negative and positive emotions, I'm recognizing that really it's all fear. And so if I can get underneath the fear and judgment specifically is all about fear. So if I'm sitting in judgment of someone or even to the point if I'm looking at someone's shoes and going, oh, why do they wear those shoes? Which I wouldn't because I could care less about shoes. But when that happens, there is something fearful. And so if I just ask myself, what's underneath that? What am I fearing right now? I get really clean really quickly. And I think that as humans right now, we are, there's a lot of fear that circles around and there's a lot of anxiety that's kind of popping up and being cleaned out. And if we can really just look at our emotions and look at what the fear is underneath, we can treat each other with more kindness. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm just learning the value of kindness in a big way. Yeah, my friend Will, who's also been on the podcast, always says too, like anger, he's like, it's always fear, shame, or sadness. Absolutely. So go one level deeper. Yeah, and I'm starting to look at, shame is a huge one, but I'm just starting to realize that even shame is fear on some level. Mm-hmm. And shame is a really sticky energy. It gets in the way of healing. So we have to clear shame before we can really heal stuff. How do you clear shame? Well, we have to we have to first own it and honor it. And then once we own it and honor it, it's just I really just pray a lot for the divine to help move it out. But a lot of people don't ever go into shame because it feels so uncomfortable to feel. Yeah. So when we drop into it, then it doesn't need to be there anymore. You said too that you don't believe in negative and positive emotions. Is that because you just think that things are? Well, I think part of our contract for being human is to be emotional beings. And so we think we should feel happy. Like we feel entitled to be happy. 
And really, as humans, we're running the gamut of it. We're learning the value of, you know, sadness. And the value of loneliness is that we learn to go socialize, right? right? We create connections. So there, is, there isn't a positive or a negative. It all goes together. That's the value and the sort of joy of being human is to just experience the emotions. And if we look at emotions, we know they're, they're temporary. They're in motion. It's energy in motion. Thanks for listening to my chat with Dana Childs. You can see more from her at goop.com slash the podcast, and you can check her out at danachildsintuitive.com. That's D-A-N-A-C-H-I-L-D-S. Now, over to GP for today's AMA. Helen asked, how do you keep your father present in your children's lives? I've lost both parents and want my children to have a relationship with them. Well, first of all, Helen, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I know how painful that is and how it can just leave such a huge hole. I was just saying to my best friend the other day that I'm so sad that my children didn't get a chance to meet my father. and He would have been so obsessed with them and like with us every day, <laughs> no matter where we were. And it's hard to not have that kind of presence but, you know, I, I, I sometimes see my father and my kids in certain aspects of them. And I think I keep them, I keep him present in their lives by the ways in which I'm like my father. I think I have his humor and love for family. And so hopefully they get to know him through me. I hope so. Thank you, GP. If you have your own question you want GP to answer, drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back next week for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.